Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Weldon Rodenberg on the show to wrap up the 2023 Ole Miss football season. Talk some Peach Bowl since we hadn't talked to Weldon. I know it's a few days uh, removed now, but also talked about big picture momentum into next year what Ole Miss is currently doing to the landscape of college football, and a whole lot more. And, of course, at the end, Soccer Corner. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the show. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Cspire. Check them out. Cspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Look, I tried to tell you guys, if you didn't sign up for Skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model, that is uh, on you. Because the last two weeks, Skybox clients are up 50 plus units total They're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves. Profit. Check them out today. You got NFL playoffs coming up. You got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Dot com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on Weldon Rodenberg, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, football correspondent. We got him back after the uh, the old man Chase Parham had to tag in. Weldon had a laptop situation over the Christmas break. How are you? You're back in one piece. We've battled some illness. We've battled some technology issues. How how we feeling? We're we're all good. I um. 
started feeling like super, super sick the night before the Ole Miss game. And I thought I had COVID because, I mean, it seems to be going around kind of that wave, I guess, during the, the winter season. And I actually tested negative. And it turns out one of my friends texted me and was like, hey, I'm like sick as a dog, but it's not COVID. It's just like massive nausea and headaches. Like, well, that sounds exactly like what I have. And of course, we're driving back from uh, Fairhope to Houston, and my wife is like, "Okay, actually, I'm now sick, but I'm pretty sure it is COVID." So it's been, you know, an eventful past few days. And then, of course, in all the hustle and bustle of getting on and out of there, I've left my backpack with my laptop and AirPods, and you know, both my binders. So work was not overly productive today. I had to go to the office and grab my work laptop, which is now what we're using. So we made it. We're fine. Just a little delayed. I'm sure you and Chase had a nice conversation. <laughs> I mean, so from that standpoint, you know, when, when you lose a phone now in 2023, it's like a very naked feeling, right? Like, it's like, oh, man, I, have I don't have massive that. phone separation anxiety. Oh, yeah. And then but then you're like, I, and I haven't lost a phone since college. Thank God, knock on wood. But then like you reach that point where like this is actually kind of freeing. I have no responsibilities. I feel like laptop is kind of the same thing professional wise where I don't know about the freeing part later, but you're like, oh, my God, like if I don't have my laptop, my life is like my life is on this type of thing. So that's like a very unnerving feeling. I do have to say, though, when MC and I took the trip to Atlanta. Uh, we did think about you for a second. So on Friday, we checked into our hotel Thursday night. As, as I was telling you, we we got in late Thursday. Friday, we decided to go walk somewhere downtown to go get something for lunch. We didn't have really plans. We pass a uh, urgent care. <laughs> <laughs> and I look over as we're passing the urgent care on the right. And I look at MC and I said, I think this is a pretty good chance. This might be the urgent care. Well, Weldon got a penicillin shot up his ass before Georgia weekend. <laughs> <laughs> just to survive the weekend whether it was the exact urgent care or not but in my brain it was so we did think of you over in atlanta this weekend that's a very sweet memory and it's funny <laughs> enough elizabeth's stepmom was was sick as hell as well like everyone just got sick over christmas it happens here and there and she was like you know it's really gotten bad because now i have an ear infection and i just had like a a ptsd like deja vu moment of how miserable that was in atlanta and I'll just text him like, I am so sorry. That is the most, that's the worst pain possible. I, I wish that on no one. Uh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. And honestly, I was just so pitiful. But yeah, it very well could have been the same one if it was near like Olympic Park, kind of downtown-ish. I that's really exactly where well. it was, uh, near Olympic Park, downtown. I'm I'm pretty sure this was the same Red Med. So uh, I felt like that was and say, hey. I mean, honestly, it could have been like a Mexican place where they would give you anything you wanted. I mean, they, they shot me up with no questions asked. So you could have missed out on some some nice narcotics there. Yeah, I should have just gone in and asked. you're into that kind of thing. Been like, hey, you shot yeah. my buddy up well after midnight. Like, well, what, what kind of drugs can you offer me? Yes. <laughs> as we – I wanted to get you on, obviously, as we do kind of our, like, season recap and all of that. And I don't want to do, like, a carbon copy of what Chase and I did. But, like, kind of big picture – you know, we're 72 hours, almost a couple, three, four days after Ole Miss beats Penn State in the Peach Bowl. I, we talked about it before the game. We did a podcast leading up. I think I probably felt a, worse about the matchup for Ole Miss after we recorded. And the more and more I started looking into it, it was like, damn, these are some dudes up front. And then the first two possessions were like, okay, holy shit, this could be a yep. long day at the office for the Mighty Rebels. They're not blocking anybody. Penn State's getting after them, for the lack of a better phrase. And, like, this could be real bad. 
The game then flipped the script on that. And again, we'll keep this at like a 10,000 foot view of just like what you thought of the game. But I mean, I thought this was an offensive masterclass from a schematic standpoint from Weiss and Kiffin. They really just kind of pulled Penn State's pants down, opt outs be damned. Uh, I mean, they had to feel it out first. I mean, when you were watching those first two drives, you were like, this is going to be a long, sad, annoying day. Uh, and I mean, everyone was texting me because it was the only game on national TV. So I've got friends and family. Everyone's watching this game. And after those first two drives, it was all negative. It was Hopkins Live at Penn State. Like, how did they not score a <laughs> touchdown? You know, Dart, you know, he hurts his ankle in the first play. People are like, are we going to see Walker Howard? Like, you know, this is a total disaster. It's, it's Sugar Bowl 2021 all over again. And then on the next drive, Dart goes slant, slant to Trey Harris, and he was just bullying that corner two times in a row. They get the ball down the field. I think they ended up scoring on that drive. Um, they did. It was the drive where they should have had a touchdown, but the ref panicked on that offside score. Oh, my God. You're exactly right. And then, he, of course, he hits Caleb Warren, and they didn't call offside. They completely screwed that entire thing up. Um, but they settled in. Slowly but surely, they realized, okay, we are not going to be able to protect much longer than two and a half seconds. Uh, Trey Harris is going against two corners who are not their starters. Their first two had opted out. And they realized they just had matchups. And Penn State, I mean, if they had just decided that they were going to run the ball every single play, that game might have gone differently, honestly. I, I think Ole Miss defensively settled in. And I think offensively forced Penn State to do things they weren't comfortable in. But – it could have been a completely different game had James Franklin just decided, you know, not to overthink it, I think. Uh, but that's not to take away from what Ole Miss did on the offensive end and really in the second half on the defensive end. They, they completely took all momentum from Penn State. They did something that we've been saying they had not done recently in many games, which is kind of dictate terms uh, defensively. They were able to get pressure with just four kind of after that feeling out process. And they were the more physical, faster, better coached team at the end of the day. Um, I think their tempo offensively, you know, taking advantage of the one-on-one matchups and then tempo. I mean, it's like James Franklin and Penn State were not prepared for tempo. Yeah. Uh, They got them, you know, I think multiple times with 12 men on the field. It's just crazy to me um, that that was the case. But they they almost looked more prepared. They looked more motivated. And that's – Kind of a surprise to me. I thought Penn State would have been really up for this game. And it's not like they quit necessarily. Just once they got down, it, it felt like it was going to need a miracle to get back in that game. And they got a few early with that tip pass, with that crazy, you know, kind of cross field throw to Singleton. Um, and that's a talented football team that Ole Miss kind of dog walked for basically three and a half quarters. It was a not the result I thought was going to happen before watching that game. But kind of looking back on it, when we had talked about it and kind of listening to the post game, it does kind of make sense. You know, this team is as healthy as it's been getting like a basically a full month off. And we saw earlier in the season what they look like when they're healthy. And that's kind of exactly what they look like today. You know, doesn't matter. They are the number one defense in the country statistically. They kind of own them completely in all three phases, really. You were around Lane for a year. You worked for him. And we've talked about, you know, what his strengths and his weaknesses as a head coach. 
ad nauseum throughout the almost half decade he's been here at Ole Miss, which is kind of crazy to think about in its own right. And I know you weren't like sitting in schematic meetings all the time or anything like that. But Chase texted me on the third drive when it was three to three and Ole Miss had gotten the football back. And he texted me and he said, Ole Miss has not caught a run play yet. And I'm sitting there thinking like, is that actually right? And then of course, right on cue, they, they've run Quinshawn for like three yards and that's the first run play of the game. But the fact that Ole Miss goes, you know, two and a half, almost three drives without calling a run play. I think that probably in some ways speaks to the fact that Kiffin really in some ways, and Weiss deserves credit for this too. I hate doing the whole Weiss gets all no, the credit and Kiffin gets all the credit. But from a schematic standpoint and a game planning standpoint, they just do what is going to put the other team in disadvantage situations. Like who would have ever thought Ole Miss would go almost three drives in a football game to open a game without calling a run play? But that's what this game was about. That's what the matchups called for. And it seemingly they identify it. It, it didn't work out for the first couple of drives because, you know, the offensive line maybe took a little bit. I mean, I talked to Victor Kern a little bit after of like, all right, these are some dudes. Like we're going to have to, we have to nut oh, up yeah. black or better phrase here. And they were patient though. And they stuck with it. And I think that's a, that's an example of kind of the chameleon from an offensive mind and offensive scheme that Giffen is. It's like, this is what this called for. This is not what we normally are, but this is what we are today because the game calls for it. To me, it's really not that crazy, and we've talked about it a few times, but you'll see Kiffin do this in games like this against defenses like this. Uh, I remember LSU last year, they came out and they went up 17-3, and, like, they barely ran the ball. Alabama uh, in 2022 at home, like, the first three possessions were just – they just throw the ball. Against Georgia this year, they're throwing. They seem to, for whatever reason – come out in these games against opponents with, like, real defensive acumen and did just throw the ball all over the field. Because I think they want to see how they react. I think they are, you know, teams probably plan for what Kiffin really is, is running the ball as much as he can to set up play action, to set up the deep shots, and kind of, you know, kind of dictate terms by running first, which is something that we've talked about and something everyone pretty much knows about Kiffin at this point, that it's not air raid by any means. Um, so, no, I was not surprised when they came out and threw it. But I think what it did was really put Penn State on their heels. I think once they started getting the ball out quicker, uh, I mean, Kiffin obviously knew that 11 Abdul Carter was going to be a problem. and He was a problem for every single snap until he uh, messed up his ankle and that uh, chop block. And they're like, we can't – we're not holding up against this guy. We have to get the ball out quick. And we're going to see what kind of looks they give us throwing the ball. And eventually they realize – they're just going one-on-one on the outside, and if we get the ball out quickly, we're going to be winning that matchup as many times as we can. Uh, they set it up with tempo. They set it up with scheme. They set it up with, you know, kind of the personnel they used, and they got pre-score more involved to kind of even open it up more for the receivers on the outside. And then eventually, once they settled in and were comfortable and had Penn State reeling, that's when they the began run. to run the ball. I mean, they started going just really simple kind of inside zones, with kind of like, almost like a one-guard G pull look. Um, and they were able to just completely take over from there. Because once they were so, so far behind what Ole Miss was doing offensively, that's when Judkins was getting one-on-ones at linebackers. I mean, it, it was just pretty simplistic at that point. Um, and then there was no pressure really on Ole Miss offensively or defensively because Penn State's quarterback play was so bad that they felt that, you know, even defensively they could stop when they wanted to. And then offensively they could do what they needed to do. They didn't have to press. 
They didn't have to, you know, play whatever kind of game Penn State wanted them to play because they knew that they were not going to be threatened once they got back on defense. Uh, so, I mean, it was a fantastic game plan. I, I don't think it's, like I said, not that shocking that that's the way they handled it because uh, we've seen it. But it just worked this game as well as it has basically since Lane's been here because I don't really care how many, you know, opt-outs they had. Obviously, having to deal with Carter and Chop Robinson would have been a massive pain in the ass. But this team is still incredibly talented. And, I mean, Ole Miss just really from halfway through the first quarter to the end of the game just dominated. Where do you fall in the hour thing? I know we talked about it before the the game on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was of last week. And we're like, look, this is a talented guy, but he's young. He was a highly talented recruit. You know, I listened for actually for the first time ever, listened to the MPW post game show. I'm not a big fan of listening to podcasts that have my own voice in it. It kind of weirds yeah. me out. I've never um, listened to one that we've done ever. We, yeah, we <laughs> talked about this before. It, like, it, I don't, it weirds me out. Like, it, it, I promise to God, me listening to my own podcast, podcast is not some ego boost. I literally never do it. But we had five, six hours in the car. And so I just kind of did it. I like begged my fiance to fast forward to the part I was on. That didn't happen. So once I got through that, though, Jeffrey and Neil were talking to Chase about like, you know, Aller and, you know, is he actually any good? Can they do anything with him? And I do fall into the camp of like, they probably, if they really want to get to the next level, need a portal, a quarterback. I mean, he, dude, he overthrew a wide open tight end in the middle of the field on the first drive to where I looked at me, I was sitting with Porter and I was like, dude, this guy kind of sucks. But also his receiving core is so bad. I don't know how to yeah. gauge it, right? Every quarterback makes mistakes, but their receiving core is horrendous. In that whole realm, like, where did you fall on that? Like, if does Aller suck? Does the receiving core awful? I know it's a mix of both, but, like, where did you kind of fall on the weighted scale there? After rewatching the game this morning, actually, uh, there, he didn't have a lot of guys that were open. I mean, which is not something – He had a bunch of slow-ass receivers that were skinny as hell and couldn't get separation. And we talked about this before the game, that receiver is a real problem for them, and it has been the entire year. I mean, they've made all those jokes about, you know, Aller not – throwing the ball deep. Well, there was no one to throw the ball deep to. And the one time he did, he gets his arm hit, and it's basically a pop fly to to Anthony. Um, I mean, I wasn't overly impressed with him, but I don't think it's really fair to judge him based off of the personnel they currently have. One, their coaching-wise, they don't play to their strengths at all. I mean, like I said earlier, they should have just ran the ball. I mean, not every play, but they should have ran the ball 70 percent of that game and they absolutely did not do that after the first two drives uh they didn't really throw to the tight ends except for like the, some middle screens which uh, is supposed to be their strength yeah it absolutely was they didn't have a receiver catch a pass from the third quarter um it, it no, they, the number two guy who i think might may have been he they said his name is clifford maybe he was related to the old quarterback um but it's just I wasn't overly impressed, but he did some things. I mean, when the guy was when the guys were open, he hit him. Um, he's way more athletic. They don't run him ever, and when he's out in the open field, he looks pretty athletic. I mean, he's obviously a really big kid. Uh, they're gonna have to figure up something scheme wise to help him out. I, I don't think he's like a bust kind of like move on from him necessarily, but nothing about him really excites you and sees you know, some massive jump coming from him going into next season with a roster that is, I mean, they're really talented. I mean, they have a lot of really good players. The things they're missing are just receivers and what can they get out of this kid? 
Uh, I, I'm not I'm not very high on him, but I don't think he's like a throw him in the trash or send him to the temple kind of quarterback either. And that gets into the conversation of like as we kind of transition just to a bigger picture conversation of Ole Miss's Ole Miss being fortunate to have a coach like Lane Kiffin in the spot that there are that we talked about before. Like James Franklin and Penn State, again, as we discussed, you know, earlier in the week, they're in a similar spot, even though Penn State and James Franklin had been there for a longer time, like trying to get to the upper tier of your conference. That first drive where they're getting five and a half, six yards of rush, then all of a sudden they get in like a third and four by the goal line, and they're like, all right, we're going to run it. Like, yeah. We're going to throw the ball and like it, it try to hit a slant or whatever they hit. And again, I'm looking at Michael. I was like, what the, what the hell did they do that? Like, I would have run that ball twice just to get the first down and then run it twice more into the end zone. It didn't make any yes. sense to me. Again, for a guy that's worked on the staff, like, how, why do they do that? I get they were working. They're not working with a, their offensive coordinator that's going to be there next year. They had an in-season change, as we talked about, too. But, I mean, he clearly has autonomy over what happens to his football team on the offensive or defensive side of the ball on a given play. Why do coaches get in their own head like that? I feel like Kiffin is – Ole Miss is very fortunate in having Kiffin from a game-planning standpoint where it's like if we're working, if this is working, we're going to hit this over and over and over again until it doesn't work. It's almost like Savant-like, whereas Franklin had the running game going and going and going, and then they got down to the red zone. It was like, no, no, third and four, we need to throw this slant. I don't get that. I don't understand why. They thought that changed the game very much early on. Why do you figure coaches get in their heads like that? It's almost like a security thing. It seems like less secure coaches are like, no, no, we have to establish the pass too. It's like, actually not. You could run the ball 75 times if it's working and continue to get this. Why do you think coaches do that? It's hard to explain. Um, Part of it, you know, it is a bowl game. So maybe they're just, I don't know. I mean, obviously they're trying to win or maybe they're just trying to put Aller in a position to, to build some confidence going into next season. But their best player was 10, and it felt like he disappeared for three quarters. I mean, he yes. was the one doing everything for them. And he is a he's a hell of a football player. And it's just like they didn't even give it to him at all after the you know they went down, I guess it was like you know, twenty to ten. It was like, oh, we now we have to throw the ball to get back in this game, which clearly is not their strength. Why do coaches do that? It's beyond me. You know, maybe it's you're right. It's it's an insecurity thing. It's a trying to be the smartest guy in the room thing. But Franklin, this has been his issue for a long time. He's gone through five different offensive coordinators since he's been at Penn State. And a lot of these guys, I mean, with real acumen, I mean, the guy he just fired, uh, was it Yurichich? Yes, Yurichich. They fired him after the Michigan State. Like, you think he doesn't know how to run an offense? I mean, he's been in Oklahoma State. That's all they do over there. And he came to Penn State, and he had Sean Clifford and whoever the hell, you know, quarterbacks they've had. They haven't had a really elite one in a long time. And they've been going and winning 10 games year after year after year. At some point, it's not all these guys, it's you. And I, I think that's Franklin's biggest issue and his attempt to get over the hump is, like, figuring out what he wants out of this team. Because, honestly, if they had just run the ball, and I know I've said it multiple times, but it's just so glaring, they might have just won that game. Because things might have changed for Ole Miss offensively where they had to press a little bit. But they, Ole Miss never felt like they had to switch it out of whatever gear they decided to go into once they started, you know, kind of going on the one-on-one matchups. It was just – a complete mal- coaching malpractice on the way they handled this game. And it'll be interesting watching them going forward, one, how they handle the quarterbacks, what kind of, you know, autonomy this new 
offensive coordinator has. It's just it's just bizarre watching how they have gone about this season. It, they're just too talented um, in so many different places to be coached like they are. And that's a fascinating part of it to me is one of the things that I quickly identified when we started doing this podcast like three years ago or so is like you have a pretty unique perspective on what people within in the industry think of certain coaches and don't get me wrong i mean you're not like a 25 year staffer that's been around the nine different programs yeah. i don't want to pretend like i'm asking you questions in that fact but like james franklin he goes from vanderbilt he goes to penn state i know the recruiting part didn't overlap a lot but like what is the general feeling on franklin as a coach because like from an outsider like me I know he's a good coach. The guy won nine games at Vanderbilt once, maybe twice. I can't remember what he did at Vanderbilt was miracle work. But then he gets to Penn State and it's like, okay, this guy's a good coach, but this is kind of a fraudulent dog and pony show in terms of like, not even the way he coaches, the way he acts in some ways. What is kind of the beat on Franklin amongst his peers, do you think? I mean, well, you can start with the positives. He is clearly an exceptional program builder. Uh, what they have been able to do from a just recruiting footprint and trajectory has completely changed under him at Penn State. They have elevated that roster with elite talent year after year. I mean, you see they've got guys drafted. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. was a first-round pick last year. They're going to have two more this year. Uh, they have been able to do it traditionally and do it very well. They haven't gotten over the hump against Michigan, Ohio State, and I – I do not believe that that is a roster problem. I believe it is a Franklin problem. And that yeah. the numbers could just completely back that up. I mean, his record against top 10 opponents is trash. And it's people terrible. who cover that team say the same thing, by the way. It's an extenuation, a, a, a continuation of what we talked about the other day. It's like, no, 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 they're not lacking speed. They're not lacking talent. This is like a not meshing type of thing yet. Not, yeah. no, not enough dynamic playmakers type of thing. Absolutely. And it's not like he's been hiring poorly. I think he's actually a really good hire. I mean, look, his last defensive coordinator, Brent Pry, is now at Virginia Tech, and he's got them in a pretty good, you know, kind of baby proof of concept year this year. Like, they're going to be a good football team. He was a very good football coach. Uh, then, of course, he hires Manny Diaz, who's, you know, he's a really good defensive coordinator, head coach to be determined. Uh, now he's gone, and he hires Tom Allen as a defensive coordinator. Like, Guys go to Penn State and with Franklin, I mean, he hires great coaches. He recruits and evaluates at an incredibly high level. And you see it year after year because they're not exactly getting five stars every single day over at Penn State, but they get a shit ton of really good players. At the end of the day, all of their kind of ceiling floor is up to him. And that, that's just where they are at right now. And you've seen it similar to kind of what people were saying about Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Though I don't even know if Brian Kelly – it's honestly kind of similar. They, they couldn't get over the hub, but Brian Kelly's in that independent and their schedule's different every year. It's a little – not exactly apples to apples. Uh, but, look, I love betting against James Franklin. He's on, very high on my list of big game guys to bet against. Uh, and it's just proof is in the pudding at this point. And that's what was so interesting about this game is that it was a matchup of two teams, at least from a national viewpoint – that were in semi-similar scenarios where it's like, can they ever win the big game? Can they, you know, make that baby jump into a playoff team, into a championship team uh, in their conference, and then maybe when this 12-team playoff comes, a team that can make a real run. And what we've seen from Ole Miss is they're getting a lot closer. Now, they're doing it very differently. But they, after this game, you feel so much better about where Ole Miss is at compared to where Penn State's at 
not just because of the way they're building the roster, but because the coach understands, or at least Ole Miss's coach, understands what you need to do in this era to compete and be a difference maker. Franklin has not figured it out, basically, clearly by, by you know, the way he's treated his offense. And that's, in this day and age, the most important factor in college football. Hadn't figured it out, hadn't figured out quarterback. Lane has obviously figured out offense and has absolutely figured out quarterback. It's really as simple as that, um, even though we can talk about all these other different things. And it's adaptation too, right? Like, look, again, I've discussed this before, as I keep saying, but like they lose to Michigan and Ohio State this year by like 10 or like thir- between 13 and nine points a piece. But as if you watch both those games. Non-competitive. Exactly. It, you can, it, it's, it, that's what I told the Penn State guy. It's like it's hard to say like a, a one-score game for most of the games not competitive, but you never once, if you actually watch the football games, thought Penn State was going to do enough, particularly offensively, to ever win the game. Like, yes, they kept it close because they have an elite defense, but it's non-competitive in the sense of like I never once thought Penn State could win this game. And for Kiffin and Ole Miss on that side of it, 2021, get your popcorn notwithstanding – They've been in the mix with Alabama. Like, even though the way the score turned out this year, I I don't think anyone who watched that game between Ole Miss and Alabama was like, Ole Miss never stood a shot to win that game. I just don't think that's an objectively true statement. Whereas Franklin, when he's against the upper tier of his conference, Ohio State, Michigan, it's like, I don't know if they were ever going to win that. I mean, they won 10 games. They won their 10 games by an average of 32 and a half points, but they went 10 and three. It's like, is that actually a compliment or is that like, hey, you beat up on some bad competition, but when it comes, you know, the rubber meets the road and you're playing the elite programs, I'm not sure you actually have what it takes. And in the one game that Ole Miss didn't do it, they got embarrassed at Georgia in late November and what did they do? What have they done since? They went and got a bunch of defensive dudes and defensive linemen in the portal because Kiffin, it, it, it didn't take the Georgia game for him to know this, but it was like, we've got to go get guys in the portal that can win these matchups up front and close this gap. And I think that's where Ole Miss is fortunate, whereas Penn State, again, not saying they look at Ohio State and, Penn State, Ohio State and Michigan and say, oh, we're going to keep doing things the same way. I'm not even close to plugged into that program. But it feels like Franklin, in some ways, is stubborn and trying to jam a square peg into a round hole versus Kiffin being like, holy shit, we got embarrassed. Like, we need to go get dudes like that. And is more adapt or die in an era where adapt or die is really the name of the game for the next foreseeable future. Ole Miss and Penn State were not very dissimilar in the way that they've been perceived, especially this year. But what you've seen is, like you just said, Lane is like, okay, I know what we have to fix. It, it's got to be defense in the line of scrimmage. Penn State, I mean, obviously we don't talk about them very much, but it doesn't seem like they feel like they're going to need to fix all that much. They feel like they're going to do, you know, status quo, go into next season. Them not portaling a quarterback will be the greatest example of this. Them going into next year with Aller will be the best example of this in my opinion. Right. And, I mean, you're seeing that across the country where, like, different programs are attacking – whether it's the portal recruiting, just their roster management and how they're going to go into next season, all, a lot of them are doing it completely differently. I mean, just LSU-wise, they have not let go of their defensive coordinator after, like, the worst defensive season ever. They have not really hit the portal, and they just lost two players to the draft who, like, may have been guys who were going to come back. Like, they're not really adapting very well to this thing at all compared to old Miss. It, it just feels like people do it differently. I mean, Arkansas, their 
portaling like crazy, you know, in and out. So it's not totally working for them either. Florida State, they lost a quarterback. Like, we got to go get one. So we're going to go get DJU or Cam Ward and end up being DJU. And they're like, okay, we can do this. And we're going to probably work the portal a little bit more going into next season. We feel like we have got a chance to keep improving this roster. And then some teams, you know, especially some teams in the Big Ten, whether it's Ohio State or Penn State, they kind of just seem stagnant. I mean, Ohio State has not gotten a quarterback yet. They don't know who they, – I mean, they don't have a starting quarterback in their roster right now, uh, but they haven't done anything. Penn State, if they bring back Aller and that's their decision, they just aren't doing anything. And you're seeing just stagnant programs and adapting programs. And it doesn't necessarily mean the adapting programs by just using the portal of the ones that are ultimately going to be more successful, but it will be something to watch going into next season on how, you know, is this a way that you can build, you know, your roster year in, year out. I mean, Pete Golding said it's not really building programs, it's building teams now. And it feels like some football teams are, are still building programs year in, year out. And they're not realizing that they are going to get left behind if they don't try to do something different in order to change the outcomes that they've had. And for Penn State, they've been 10 and 2 for however long. They've been very competitive for however long. But if that's just going to be their ceiling if they don't try something different. We'll get back to Waterman in just one second. But before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. And I hate to give like Florida State credit for something that hasn't happened yet. You know, we gave them shit about the idea of like, oh, we could have gotten in with a backup quarterback. We got screwed. We were very sympathetic to that aspect of it. But it was kind of funny to me that Rodemaker enters the portal because they were clearly – there was some sort of – again, I'm not familiar with Florida State's inner workings, but there was clearly some sort of conversation with that Rodemaker kid of like, hey, man – we're not just riding with you next year. Like we're going to go try to get a dude out of the portal because yeah. I think if this college football season has proved anything, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't really have a chance maybe with one or two outlier exceptions. And they were dynamic enough to say, Hey, 
we're going to go get a guy like he can stay in and compete, but like, we're not just handing you the reins because you're the guy after Jordan Kravis, where the contrast of that is obviously, you know, presumably Penn state sticking with uh, Aller or a couple other big 10 programs across the country. You mentioned Ohio state didn't have a starting quarterback on the roster. I'm fascinated with that part of college football going forward and how we view programs and where they rank on a pedestal of versus what they traditionally are and how they've recruited high school. Cause Penn state continues to recruit high schools very well. Of course, Ohio state recruits nationally, Michigan recruits both nationally and within high school very well, but these programs that kind of get stuck in their ways that have been good programs like Penn state, them not being proactive and adapting to this is going to be very fascinating to me over the next couple of years about how they're perceived two years from now versus now, because if they keep doing what they're doing and not adapting, they'll still be in that tier that we think they are. But the conversation about them getting to the next one, I feel like will wane a bit because they won't change their ways. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And it's really not just a, a pin state thing either. It, it's talent accumulation happens very differently based on just how you run your program. But getting the most talent is the teams that win. That's just a fact. I, I saw this earlier. Uh, Maychar screenshotted it uh, because we're in a very rare time in college football with these last two years. Three of the four teams that have played for the national championship these last two years have been teams without a top five recruiting class in their last, like, five. Basically not a team. Damn. Yes. So there's only been three teams since 2000 who have won national titles without having signed a top five class in any of the previous four years. So basically one of the four years your, your roster is made up of, which I know is weird these days, one of those is a top five class. The three teams, they're all in the 2010s. Okay. Would you like Auburn to has to be one of them, right? 2010, Auburn is one of them. Would you like to attempt to guess the other two? Uh, I'm not even sure I could begin to, but I'll try. Is it played for or won it? Won. Okay. I'll try on this. Is it – is Ohio State one of them? Ohio State is not. No, not the Cardell Jones here. Think about the talent they had on that team, Rippy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was Michael it. Thomas, the damn thing. <laughs> But won it. I mean, one of them has to be Clemson. They are both Clemson in 2016. And okay. But, of course, the, the what we're talking about, quarterback play, it's it's the equalizer. It's those exactly. two quarterbacks. Deshaun like and Trevor. Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence. We will be having a new one come Monday with Michigan and Washington. Those two teams, they're kind of like team power ranking, which they do on 24-7 or on three, one of those things. They, they kind of, you know, it's like the blue chip ratio, basically. Michigan is 14th and Washington is 26th. So this will be the first year that both teams playing have not had a top five recruiting class outside of that kind of top 10 of the blue chip rating. The point of what I'm saying in all this is you have to get as much talent on your team as possible. And there are certain teams, Ole Miss specifically, Colorado, whoever, I mean, it's a lot of people, it ain't just Ole Miss, have decided that we have to adjust the way we're getting all of this talent because we are not going to be able to compete year in, year out with teams that recruit nationally. So they've decided to adapt and that we're going to get the best of the best in the portal. And maybe this is a one-year thing, the way they've gone all in in 2024. 
may be possible. Maybe it's not because if, you know, if they go in next year, do what we think they can do, make the playoffs, make a run, they should have plenty of money and plenty of capital and plenty, plenty of proof of concept. But we've seen with Michigan, with Washington, with teams you know, all around the country that it's all about getting as much fucking talent as you can get. Figuring out the quarterback position, you can compete in college football these days. And I think with the 12-team playoff, you're going to see more teams realize that maybe we do have to adapt. Maybe we do have, do have to do things a little bit differently. We've been talking about Penn State a lot because they're just such an interesting kind of counterpoint. It's a good comparison, exactly. Yeah, it's a good comparison what Ole Miss has been doing. And, I mean, just, just look at Washington. They have been able to recruit at a pretty good level for them. But at the end of the day, they portaled their quarterback. And that's made everything go. You know, you can have all those receivers and, you know, a good offensive line and decent defense. But if you don't portal at least part of that, you're kind of just waiting and hoping. And a lot of teams are waiting and hoping, whereas some other teams, Ole Miss specifically, has realized we have to get as close to that blue chip ratio as possible. But we have to do it the way we do it. We can't do it the way everyone else does it. And it'll be really interesting to see different teams if they realize that in order to really compete, and that's that's different for everybody, whether that's national championship, playoff, conference championship, because, I mean, that's what you're going for in this stupid sport. How you do it, whether you adapt, whether you change your personnel, whether you change your offensive or defensive philosophy, it'll all be different. But it, at the end of the day, it's about talent acquisition. And however you do that is fit for you. But I think with the way Ole Miss and Penn State are doing are completely different, not necessarily right or wrong, but I think Ole Miss is closer to their achieved goal from Penn State. And it's partially because, and I've asked you this before as a former recruiting guy, you know, I've asked you about recruiting rankings and has this ranking system caught up with just how valuable portal players are, particularly kind of blue chip portal players are. And from an Ole Miss standpoint, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Ole Miss can or will win the national championship next year, but I've always I say always in this last few weeks, I've kind of pushed back on the idea of like they're pushing all their chips in the table for 2024 and 2025 is going to be a train wreck because they put all this money in 2024 and all that. I don't understand what this all in on 2024 means. Ole Miss has capitalized on where they're at in the college football ecosystem they have capitalized on being very well organized in NIL as you and I have discussed, and it's been well-documented. But what has been a year where you haven't looked at Ole Miss and said they're all in? I mean, hell, they had 48 new kids last year. They brought it in the portal. It wasn't for a lack of trying. I think this idea that this is 2024 bust and none of this is going to be sustainable after the fact is honestly just kind of bullshit because this is how Ole Miss builds their roster every year. It's just higher profile guys this year because they have more money to spend and credit to them to do that, to fish in deeper waters and go get guys that started and played significant snaps on other SEC teams to where they probably won't end up as a top five overall class. And in these day and age, I don't know how you absolutely, like, I don't even really know how you rank that. But yeah. when you watch the college football playoff on Monday or what, yeah, yesterday, Monday, whatever it was, and you mentioned the stat that you brought up. I think the idea that we gauge all of this off of, oh, this team's brought in multiple top five classes, they'll win it, but no one else can't because they don't have a chance, is probably a little bit of outdated thinking. Again, I'm not telling you Ole Miss can or will win the national championship next year, but I'm also saying they can't or won't. 
Because I don't think the way Walter Nolan and the transfers they brought in are more like are accurately weighted in the way we used to do things, if that makes any sense. They've adapted to how you bring in talent in this talent acquisition business, like you just said, to where I'm not really sure you can do the whole oh, they haven't had a top five class or they've only had an eighth and a 10th ranked class. They're not actually a real contender. I don't believe that anymore because the whole system's changed. You're exactly right. It's it's a completely different outlook on how these recruiting rankings and what your class actually is, you know, year to year. The COVID year has screwed up everything. So there's so much more eligibility out there. These teams are older than they've ever been. Yeah, we got 25-year-olds playing quarterback in college. I mean, Michael Penix is another. He had four, I think, four consecutive season-ending surgeries. And this is his like, healthiest year he's been. He's been unbelievable for Washington, which is funny enough because they're having Will Rogers come in next year, and that will be a cool oh shot for them. You, thought, you think he can make some of those throws that Penix did against Texas? Uh, the answer is no, but it's just different. And the narrative of all in for Ole Miss in 2024, I, I think it's an easy one for people from the outside. One, because of the amount of kids they brought in and the high profile kids they brought in, they've all been ranked, you know, with Juice Wells and Nolan and Barron and Princely are all like guys that are established and you know exactly what they are and they're all coming in at the same time. But that doesn't mean you can't do it the next year. And, you know, it's the wild, wild west, and that doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. And as much as Kiffin talks about how much he doesn't like it, he always then adds the caveat of, I'm sure as hell going to use it to our advantage uh, because th this is an opportunity in this 12-team playoff to make a run. Uh, and, you know, whether it's you know, competing for the national championship, well, what does that really mean? If you get in the 12-team playoff – Pretty sure that means you're competing for the national championship. I don't think anyone thought Alabama this year wasn't when they got in the 14 playoff and lost. I mean, they got there. So it, it's just a different way of looking at it. I, I think people are not used to it. I think a lot of people have seen the way that Dion's been doing it compared to what Ole Miss is doing. And that's not the same. Because not Colorado even doesn't have – they don't have a fucking player in their team that is worth a shit except for the two they brought in from the portal. That, that's the real difference, I think, for this year's Ole Miss portal class is that these are just additions off, to what they, off of what they already have. Now, whether those guys came in through high school or through the portal, who cares at this point? You know, they have established in the culture and in the program. Uh, it, it's just different. So it, I get why they would say, yeah, it's all in. But I think this just might be Ole Miss's best way to narrow the gap in the blue chip ratio compared to other programs. It absolutely is. And that, that that gets me to like the end of that point. It's like, look, I'm not telling you, Ole Miss will absolutely, in all likelihood, be a more talented football team in 2024 than they are in 2025. Like, odds are it just is that way. But this narrative of like, well, they have the right guys returning, and so then they brought in these bunch of transfers, and they're just going all in, and it won't be that way after that. It'll bottom out. Well, when you talk about the returners, let's look at the returners. Trey Harris. Guess who was not a high school recruit? Trey Harris. Uh, Jackson Dart. I, I know he's been in Ole Miss a long time. Not a guy they got out of the high school. They got him out of the portal. Caden Bracecorner, portal guy. Um, I mean, the Jordan list goes Watkins, portal. On Ivy, and on. Portal. So, so why couldn't they do that in 2025? Again, I'm not telling you they're going to build a team that's going to establish and win 
and be a college football playoff contender in 2025. But the idea that this is 2024 and then they're just going to rebuild this shit from scratch is just dumb because it no, is the antithesis of what they've, they, they've built this entire program off of. They do this every year. It's just better dudes. Exactly. It's better dudes that are already on the roster and better dudes that are coming out of the portal. So that that's the difference. But they've also slowly but surely raised their ceiling at the high school ranks. I think this class, I've said a few times, it's not perfect, but it's definitely the best class high school-wise that Kiffin has brought in By to kind of slowly wane them off of the potential to have to spend this much in the portal year after year. Because I'm not necessarily sure Kiffin feels like he really wants to have to do all of this. Um, and then maybe a year, whether it's 25 or 20, that's so far in the future, that you won't have to bring in these high-profile guys because you're doing what other really elite programs do and, and build at least a modicum of your roster through the high school ranks. It doesn't have to be you know full ship ahead like some programs do because that's the whole point we're talking about is that Ole Miss won't be able to do that. And that's not a diss on Ole Miss. I know that because they've never been able to do it, ever. <laughs> they've never consistently been top five, top ten, uh, recruiting classes year after year after year. It's just not It's just not going to happen. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The good thing is that you've got a coach that understands that in order to win at the highest level, and that's their goal, that you have to go out there and get talent to add to what you're doing in the high school ranks. That's the whole point of this conversation that we're having, is that you can do it differently. That doesn't mean that you're being you know, cautioned to the wind and that you're just – throwing around money like A&M did for their high school kids and that it won't work. But that's the difference is that these guys are established. They're one year, two year. They're coming in. They're coming in to win and compete, but then they're gone. A&M went the exact opposite direction. They paid all these high school kids, and now none of them are there because you can't wait. Even if Ole Miss is raising their ceiling from a high school recruiting ranking, they're not going to wait to – three years for these guys to develop and then be like, okay, here's our shot. That, that's not how it's working right now. And that's not how they're going to do it. And honestly, if I'm a program in that 15 to 20 range, 15 to 25 range, similar to what Ole Miss is, be doing the exact same thing because in this 12 team deal, you'll never get there. If you just sit there and wait and wait and wait. And then maybe that one out of every four years, you're like, okay, we might have enough talent to maybe make the 12 team playoff. It's just not realistic. They're, they've decided that this is the way that they're going to do it. And I think it's for Ole Miss the best way forward. And I mean, there's a whole other sidebar conversation to be had about this. And I've, I've texted you about it as that Grove Collective story was publishing, but it is funny to me. Do you remember that a couple weeks, like it's probably a month or so ago at this point, there was like this AM player when they were going through the transition who like commented on his other buddy's Instagram account. I, again, I'm going very niche into the weeds of what like people do and don't see on social media, but I thought this was interesting. And I can't remember who it was and I should probably look it up, but it was like the, the, the kid was basically like, oh, remember when people thought we got paid all this money and then we didn't see a dime where it's like. Yeah. Well, there's also a real conversation to be had, as was pointed out in this thing I wrote about of like, well, AM set up their thing as a uh, 501c3 as a non profit thing. Then the IRS was like, hey, actually, you can't do that. So yeah. AM's collective that had all this money and all this other shit is now starting over from scratch. No wonder those kids didn't see that money because, as Liston pointed out to me, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, he was like, if we did this and I had to tell all of our donors that, 
you know, actually, this is not tax deductible and you're going to need to file an amended tax return. Like, you think those people would continue to give to me? That's why kids like that didn't see the money that they eventually got. Ole Miss is now set up for success in the current and the future. And the reason I bring that up is just the sheer fact of like, again, everything we keep talking about is just kind of like, okay, like Ole Miss does NIL the right way. Like they're not going to bring a kid in to where he's like, where did my money come in on the back end? Like they're they're They've set them up themselves up for stability and they are the program that does that. And then the package that into a question as a former recruiting guy, you've seen how this landscape has changed. If you were working at a college program in this day and age, Ole Miss has made this their brand. They've made this, we are the portal destination. And I think they've kind of fine-tuned the idea of like, hey, we want to get talent. Don't get me wrong, but we got to get the right kids. But Lane Kiffin was in rare form in his post-game press conference after the Peach Bowl. And one of the things he brought up, and that probably wasn't the first time, was we've had kids contact us from all over the country wanting to come be a part of this. And so in this day and age, there's going to be a program or two that capitalized on this shit and was like, we are the model for this. And I, I can't say that Ole Miss isn't that anymore. They are that. Will it turn into a national championship? I don't know. But I guess the best way to put it, and I'll throw it back to you after this, is we talked about, like, is this the right way to do things? Is this sustainable? That question has been put to bed whether it produces a championship or not. Yeah, completely. Uh, I'm done really questioning the concept of why of they're doing they, this, of how and why. I, I think that's, you're right, completely put to bed. Um, they're not the only one doing this, though. Of course. But, but they are the ones that have gotten the national attention because they've been doing it consistently. And they've been doing it organized. And no one has questions. And they've been getting elite players from different teams. And you're like, those guys are going to Ole Miss. Why? And I've got questions from everyone that I know. Cause I mean, it's been, a, it's been basically a national news story. Because nobody knows how this actually works, except the people right. that have been around Ole Miss that have made it work like yourself. Because people have been like, well, golly, like, you know, all these guys are going to Ole Miss. That's weird. Like why Ole Miss? And I, I tell people the same thing every single time. One, they have money, you know, they have plenty of money, but two, they're just the most, they're the most organized. They, they have been doing this thing in a basically not total trial and error for two or three years, but kind of, I mean, they, they've been kind of putting, dipping their toe in and then they've kind of been jumping in and they kind of jumped out and they're like, okay, no, we've got this now. We, we completely understand for Ole Miss what we want out of this thing, what we want out of this portal how we want to do high school and everything else. They have money. They're the most organized and not even just from a collective. That's obvious that they've got that thing down to a T on the way they handle it. But from just a full staff understanding of when these guys get in the portal, how are we going to pre-portal these guys? What are our needs? Um, I mean, the LSU off of the tackle got in the portal today. That kid most likely is going to Ole Miss. That didn't happen today when that guy got in the portal. I can promise you that. And that's not even sourced. That's from anybody that you've heard over the last six hours at, talk about this kid. has been like, yeah, he's probably going to Ole Miss. That's how good they've been at this. Other teams have not figured out. And some teams don't want to figure it out, right? I mean, we're talking about Clemson. They, they don't want to figure it out. Alabama, they don't necessarily want to figure it out, honestly. 
they kind of have, but they're just in a whole different stratosphere of, of program building at that point. They're so established. Ole Miss is one of the kind of in-betweeners where they've established themselves, but now they're putting themselves on a different level with how they've handled this thing. So it's not shocking. It's not surprising. It's not really a question of why they're doing it. Now it's just a question of what now? What, going into next season, what does this look like? Because uh, you're going to have to change – you're not going to change anything. All you have to do is kind of bring these kids in, figure out culturally how it's going to work, get them integrated. You have so many guys coming back. And I think that's another reason why this is definitely still sustainable in 2025 because, yeah, you may have a new quarterback, but you're going to have kids still that have done this portal thing before that have come to Ole Miss and had success. And it may not be the guys on this roster, but it might be this portal class where they're still here and like, hey, this worked out just fine. We, they know how to do it. Come here. You'll get your NIL stuff and everything will work out. You'll play football. It, it, is, it all makes sense. It's all so standardized by Ole Miss these days. And I just don't think they're going to change their ways with it. It's, uh, it's something dramatic would have to happen. And honestly, even when some of these players they brought in have been kind of misses, they just kind of handled it quickly, swiftly, and said, see ya. And that might have been difficult for them you're to do. You're a shithead, you're out of here. Yeah, because, like, you know, if you're not with us, you get your money, we'll call it a loss, and see you next time. Like, these aren't long-term contracts. We don't have to keep you on the books for dead money. You, you just figure it out on your own. So it, I, I understand the national, like, questioning. Like, what's going on here? But at the end of the day, nothing new. There's better at it and more organized at it than everyone else. Yes, and, and probably the final point to, to underscore all of this and kind of hammer it home, I keep asking you to live in this alternate reality where you were still a recruiter in this portal era. Well, if you were hosting a kid on a visit and all this shit's going on and all this is happening right now, it'd have to be comforting to know that the people on the back end, like whatever, say you're recruiting X kid defensive lineman South Mississippi and you're trying to get him to come to Ole Miss. And you're talking to him and you're trying to do all of this. The idea that you know that the people on the back end from his financial obligations and everything else to set him up are not going to screw this up. That has to be a gigantic comfort spot for recruiters. And for, I mean, again, if you were doing it yourself, it's like, okay, these people behind me, we have, I know people used to love buzzwords like infrastructure and all that crap, but it, it is true in that sense. That has to be a massive advantage for Ole Miss where they can go recruit these kids and feel very good about the fact that, hey, once I get them in the boat and they want to come to Ole Miss, this NIL thing and this whole structure behind it, they're going to screw these kids over on the back end. Like, we're not dealing with a bunch of clowns to actually get them their money, for the lack of a better phrase. That has to be a massive bump. It absolutely is. And the portal in high school is so different because high school – you're just selling something completely different. It's so much bullshit. It's so much like Fugazi, Fugazi, like, yo, you'll be doing this and you're going to be, you know, an All-American. It's like blah, 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 blah. And I think what Kiffin has, has learned and what Golding has attributed, basically being able to get in on different kinds of players, is that this is just so much more of a professional relationship. And that if we go after the right kids and the best kids – like, they understand the other side of the relationship, too, whereas high school kids, they have no idea. Like, this is their first interactions with, like, money. It's their first interactions with professionalism. 
they haven't been a part of it. They're so in their ass and in their head and everyone around them is so full of shit. Whereas in the portal and you look, you're still going to have those bad actors around them. And, you know, there's always a reason why you're in the portal, but I think those reasons have been kind of, kind of ripped through by Ole Miss. Like they know, like, I mean, look, Evan Stewart is a massively talented player. Nobody wants him and Ole Miss included because they see like this kid is clearly, you know, not a cancer. That's such a typical term. That's such a pain. But like, it's, there's what's something. What's his name? 2.0. Who's the kid that Chris Marshall? Chris Marshall. Yeah. Now it may not be legal troubles, but it's like we're not going to, you know, invest financially in this kid. It's not going to work for us. Don't care how talented he is. For Ole Miss, it's so much easier with these portal guys to get them to understand. Look what we've done with the recent guys in the portal. Look what we can do for you. You want to come here? We got you set up financially. We're winning football games. It's the most important thing for portal guys. We can put you in the league. That's the most important thing for portal guys. It's a different kind of recruitment. And that doesn't mean that that Kiffin and the staff aren't capable of doing the high school things. That's obviously not true. We've seen a slow trajectory of looking up the way they've done high school, but it's the way that the alignment with the staff, with the Grove Collective, with the AD, with the entire athletics you know, department of we have to be successful at this because this is our way forward. And kids can sense that. It's just so easy for Ole Miss to sell to kids exactly what they should be buying. Last couple of things on this. I meant we've known each other long enough. You know I'm a bad texture where you text me something in maybe 12 hours or 24 if I get back to you because I just sure. – I can't get through them. I meant to text you this the other day, and I realized I'd screenshotted it and never actually sent it. And this probably underscores it more than anything else. We talk about the old Miss to Penn State comparison. I had that Penn State writer on, and I asked about them in NIL because, you know, I saw that they'd signed 25 high school kids. I was like, okay, these guys are doing it, what is now known as the old-fashioned way, you know, four year, a whole four years ago. <laughs> well, I was he didn't really mention any collective by name, which I think is very poignant in a different sense. I mean, Ole Miss had a fucking Grove Collective party. At the at, at the Sugar Bowl that or excuse me at the Peach Bowl that was very well attended. The Grove Collective is part of their brand. So I looked up what Penn State's main NIL uh, collective was. It's called like the Happy Valley United Collective. And I was like, all right, I'll click on their website. You click on their website. The first thing that pops up is the little banner before you get to the actual website. And the first option is, would you like to make a tax deductible donation to this collective? And I'm like, buddy, in June of 2023, the IRX nixed this shit. And like, I screenshotted it. I was about to send it to you. But I was like, is that not the best example of who's ahead and who's behind that you can ever think of? This is June or January 2024. And I clicked on their website and they're like, here's a tax write-off. Yeah. Which is just not allowed by law. So it's funny you say that. So I, I like to bring things back to LSU because one, I'm from Baton Rouge and sure. I know a decent amount about what's You're going on. You're an LSU plant. Your entire existence is Ole Miss was to sear kids to LSU. We've established this. This, this whole podcast is just for me to gather information. It was a ruse. Collective work so I can bring it down to Baton Rouge to implement it for them. Um, which is funny enough, probably something they could use. LSU – NIL-wise, is in a just really weird spot. They have an NIL collective. It's called, like, shit, I can't think of it. It's like Bayou Traditions. They are not a part of, like, that association that that Walker's set up with, with, with like, Georgia and Michigan and all these. They're just not a part of it. They were so late to the game. 
they haven't figured it out. But nobody knows how that thing works. Nobody knows what is actually being implemented because the only NIL that's visible from an LSU side is anybody that Gordon McKernan signs to a deal. Do you know who Gordon McKernan is? Is this the ambulance chaser guy? He's an ambulance chaser guy. Yeah, a lot of billboards. A lot of billboards around. Uh, I, I've known, I know him and his family. They're, they live in the same neighborhood as us. Good guy. He's in that kind of business because his dad was. Whatever. You know, you can think of that what you will and understandably so. He's the only face of LSU NIL right now. But the thing is, is he's signing these players to deals, but it's just out of his marketing budget. Sure. Like, it, that's, that's all it is for him. So, obviously, he's doing his part. But he was in an interview uh, a few days ago. Uh, I can't remember who it was with. And he was like, look, like, I'm doing my part. I'm signing guys. But, like, this is not sustainable for, for me. Like, I can't sign every single LSU player to an NIL deal just because they want one. So, they are so far behind because they have no organization. I don't know who is running Bayou Traditions. And I that's probably a problem. I probably not, not, not like me on my high horse. Like I know everything that's going on over there, but like I literally don't know who is doing their nil, and it, it shows. Yes, they are so, it shows. I mean, right now they have like three guys signed. They're all from Louisiana. LSU is the easiest fucking recruiting job in the country because sometimes they don't even have to pay these kids because they just bleed LSU and they go from Louisiana. They just go to LSU, and that's just that. They've been able to accumulate talent through the years by basically being the only program in the state that produces NFL athletes like no one else. But NIL-wise and transfer portal-wise, they have just been getting shit on. I mean, they just have not been able to get real elite guys in the portal. And even worse than that, when they've gotten them, it just hasn't worked. And the, you're seeing it's the two trains going through the night with so many different programs where Ole Miss is like, we have all this down. We know how it's working You've got other programs, Penn State, LSU, whoever else you want to talk about, that are like, we have not figured this part out. So we're going to keep signing all these high school kids, and they're going to be held – they're going to be really good players. They're going to go to the league probably. I mean, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, you get it. Penn State, Chop Robinson, that left tackle who's a stud. They'll get those guys, but that's not going to get you over the top. It's just not anymore. And LSU, just them specifically – LSU defensively, Penn State offensively, what's going to change for those teams next year if it's not going to be the portal? Because it sure as hell won't be turned over by a bunch of freshmen, whereas Ole Miss is like, we'll bring in our freshmen, but we are going to absolutely attack this problem in this side of the ball, and we're going to do it to our benefit through the portal and NIL. So it's not just Penn State. It's a lot of teams that have just been like, we don't know. I mean, Auburn, Auburn said they had all this money. What's their portal look like? I mean, they don't have a quarterback. It's awful. Roster. Yeah, they're going to bring terrible. someone back. Yeah, I mean, that, that's their only awesome as of right now. I know the Liberty quarterback just went in, so I'm sure he'll maybe end up there. But they're just like – it's like, oh, maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. Whereas Ole Miss – if a guy was in the portal and they had Ole Miss as like under consideration, for the last two weeks it's been considered done. It's like a no refusal. Else say that. It's like a refusal of like these other programs that have been doing it such a long way for such a long time, and they have successfully, bigger- successfully, by the way. No, oh, oh, a million percent. Yes, black yeah. market, tons of donors pulling in different directions. But what is different about this NIL thing to me is again, I keep asking you to live this hypothetical life as you were still a recruiter. Imagine you're trying to get a kid, 
And you're like, well, do I go to Gordon McKernan? Do I go to this collective? Do I go to this other one? Where Ole Miss is like, no, no, this is the Grove Collective. Like, you go to Walker Jones about this shit. This is part of it. This is public. This is part of the brand. Again, for dudes like you who worked in this space trying to get players, I imagine this day and age, if it was like, well, do I go to Gordon McKernan? How do I get this kid money? Instead of like, this is this source. This is publicly endorsed by this university. This is how we get kids that are zero questions about it. it. has to be a massive difference maker. I mean, I just think about like what would have happened on that DeCamerian Richardson visit to LSU. I, did they talk about their NIL situation? I mean, Had to. Or, or, or was it just like an official visit? Like here's Tiger Stadium, here's walk-ons, you know? You know, we'll eat some food. We'll talk about your position. And then, you know, maybe you'll come here. Maybe you'll not. Whereas, like, Ole Miss, that has to be the first thing is they get these kids on campus. And, like, it here's is. our NIL situation. And then we'll show you the facilities. We'll meet with the coaches. We'll do the whole shebang. I mean, there is some old school. Like, you have to eventually make good relationships with these kids. And you have to keep them throughout recruiting them in high school so that when you re-engage in the portal, you know who the hell they are and you've kept up with them. But I can just envision official visit-wise for Ole Miss, it's just got to be completely different than what I used to go through. All right, last thing on this, I promise, because I want to get to the playoff part of it before I keep you for an hour and a half. I have this theory now. Ole Miss is like the perfect size fan base, right? They're never the biggest. They're never going to be the richest, particularly yeah. in this black market era. But they have few enough people to where they did this. They killed all these rogue collectives, and this is the chain up. This is the tunnel up. Well, you have Auburn, you have LSU, like you mentioned. There's a lot of people that are cooks in the kitchen that think they should have seats at the table. And guess what? Not all of them can run collectives. Do you buy anything into that theory of these teams that did this a lot better than Ole Miss, that had a lot bigger alumni bases, that did this black market-wise? Because you didn't have to go to a senior entity. It was like, just go to this bag man, go to that bag man. They're having a lot of trouble reining these bag men in with a lot of egos. Instead, we're all misses just like, this is our thing. This is what we have to do. And this is funneling up. And it's working out better for Ole Miss. Am I crazy in thinking about that in that sense? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I also think that Auburn and LSU specifically have had very interesting last five to ten years where – well, let's call it last five years. Look, LSU won a national championship in 2019. Can't scoff on that. Yeah, can't scoff on that. But that's not what I'm talking about, is they've been having to pay coaching buyouts after coaching buyouts after coaching buyouts. And at least from an LSU perspective, a lot of those buyouts come from TAF and donors. So they've been paying a lot of those. They've been paying Kim Mulkey a lot of money. They've been paying, you know, Jay Johnson a lot of money. A lot of those guys, that's kind of what they come in for. They come in and handle like the administrative and the coaching stuff by like, yeah, we'll, we'll cut the check for that. That doesn't necessarily mean they want to keep cutting checks day after day after day for recruits. And in fairness, it's also to add not to coach, to Maneri not to coach. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I get they didn't have to pay Will Wade, but you're also paying a lot of assholes that are not on the payroll anymore. Exactly. I mean, Auburn's the same way with Harson and with Malzahn. And I'm sure Yellowwood is still, you know, footing the bill for a lot of that. But I doubt he's like, you know what? And I also want to pay Cam more. Like, there's just a <laughs> This lot is of awesome. These, I'll give more money. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of these boosters, like they kind of boost in their different ways, right? They, some guys go, they're recruiting guys and some guys are, you know, coaching buyout calls. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, at Ole Miss, you know, they kind of did, I don't really know who their coaching buyout calls are, but they haven't had to have one of those. I mean, they had Matt Luke, of course, but I can tell you in good confidence that was fronted by a guy who was ready to see him go. And that was not going. Yeah. Yeah. It was one guy I'm very aware. So that was out of the way. It was out of the way. And that was done. Now it's, yeah, yeah, I'm very aware. Um, But now everyone is like, okay, we have our coach in place. We don't, there's just nothing else on the docket. This is it. There's nothing else in the past. All debts have been paid. And this is kind of what we're going forward with. And they've done it in a way where, one, they've won football games. They've kind of rallied a fan base from a grassroots level, which is something you just don't see that many other places, especially publicly, the way Ole Miss has done it. And it's just all funneling towards one goal. And that is the difference between Ole Miss and basically everywhere else that I'm aware of, uh, that it's just so streamlined. And it's so understood of how they're doing it to where, like, you don't even have to be an Ole Miss fan. But, yeah, that's their, their grow collective. That's – Stuff. I see that on Twitter. Like, that's clearly what's going on here. Not that way everywhere else. For you, as we go into 2024 with Ole Miss, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I am kind of done with the idea of this is their suing. They can or can't do this. We were both like, hey, probably eight and four. I could actually see seven and five more likely than I could 10 and two. And this team just won 11 games. And the way they're doing this and everything we talked about, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. Again, I'm not telling you Ole Miss is going to compete or win a national championship, but I mean, I mean, this may be spoiling the next six months of the podcast you and I do. I've kind of put my hand up and been like, I don't know about expectations. I, I, I'm not going to put a cap or a floor on them. Are you in the same frame of mind I am? I, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm not going to tell them they can or cannot do something, if that makes any sense. Uh, no, I, I will be putting no cap on their, their possibilities for next year. I, I think they have a chance to be that good. And just watching those playoff games yesterday, uh, and just adding certain pieces to that team, I mean, especially like watching Alabama and really like even watching Texas, like how far away is Old Miss really from these teams? How far away are they from Washington? I don't think they're that far. Can't be. No. Now – I mean, am I going to sit here and say that if we they had played like Washington, they would beat Washington? No. And Jackson Dart is not Michael Pennants. Let's keep this no, real. I mean, the dude's no. a freak, but still. But they're just not that far. But the, the whole point of what I'm saying is next year, Washington will not be having Michael Pennants. Alabama next year, you don't have to play them on your schedule until maybe the playoffs. Michigan, they're a rolling ball of butcher knives for sure. JJ might not be back, and their fucking head coach might not be That's back. That's what I say. That, that man might be coaching on Sundays. And in Texas, I'm just frankly not that scared of them at all. It, it's just crazy. The team, I mean, I'm way more afraid of Georgia, which, I mean, they're going to be as good as shit next year. But Florida State, no Jordan Travis. Sorry, not scared of DJU. I've seen him play plenty. I know exactly what he is. Ohio State, they don't have a quarterback right now. LSU, they don't have a defense right now. Clemson, they're, who knows what's going to go on over there, but I've seen Club Nick enough. I'm not scared of them necessarily. Oregon, no Bo Nix, no Troy Franklin. It's just like 
I'm not going to put a cap on what this team can do. Once you get in the playoffs, it'll all be matchups. You never know what could happen. Um, but I just watched some of these, you know, near six games and the playoff games and thinking about what Ole Miss is bringing back offensively, what they're adding defensively. If they're able to gel like they were this year, I'm not – they absolutely can compete for a national championship. I, I firmly believe that. All right, let's talk playoffs. Are we I, I can lean into this with some fervor because I know we're aligned in the playoff expansion thing. Our guy Barrett Salee, among others, we hit the noon games yesterday. Oregon destroys Liberty, and he gives the whole take of, oh, this would have been a, a first round playoff matchup. It's like, dude, I would crack your head against a skull if this is really the point you're trying to drive home. And then it is followed up by what two? I don't know. We had two playoff games that would be considered two of the four best playoff games of the current era. Like I, t- yesterday, to me, Liberty aside and all this other crap, put to bed the idea of expansion. Stupid! Like we shouldn't have more of these games. Like, are you serious, man? You don't want four of Michigan and Alabama and Texas and Washington on a single weekend to get to the quarterfinals? You don't yeah. want that? What? Do you just hate football? Like, what, what's wrong with you? Like, I don't understand that. that. No, I don't understand that either. But I I am now firmly on the side, and I actually wasn't this way. Um, but I, I'm done with the idea of a group of five getting a spot in this thing. I actually am too. It's funny you mention that. I, I am too, dude. I, I can't see oh, that. Yeah. Okay, so the one to actually hang up I have with that is the first group of five team that got in, Cincinnati in 2021 could have won a playoff game. They might could have won two. They weren't beating Alabama. So I don't know how you gauge that. I'm not saying they cannot be in under any circumstance. But to your point, I'm out on the auto bid. I just don't know how you gauge that contextually, if you know what I mean. Liberty should not have been in. Cincinnati in 2021, I I, I would have felt bad leaving them out of a 12-teamer. Well, that was a weird year as well, but it also took them going like 24 and 0 to get in. Exactly. It took them like every winning every single game. Uh, and then, of course, the most important part is Cincinnati is not a group of five team anymore. <laughs> that's they a good point, too, right? Like, it, 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 that's you're, a good it, way to put it. Like, the teams that you thought should have had a seat at the table that didn't kind of now, for the most part, do, right? UCF, yeah. Cincinnati, all that, all those. Because now those teams have moved up, even SMU has moved up as well. They're going to be in the ACC. So now it's like, do we really want to watch Troy or Tulane go on the road to play Ohio State? Like, is that really going to be better no. than a 10-2 and two Missouri or LSU or, like, Tennessee? It's just not – we're, we're – you've got to get past that. And I don't – like, Elizabeth asked me all the time, like, hey, so next year, like, the games are on campus and they're rotating. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, so, like, you know, who gets in? And I'm like, I don't know. Because I don't think anybody knows because there's no Pac-12 anymore. So I don't think we actually even have the official ruling on what automatic qualifiers are going to be, what teams get in, how many automatic – nobody knows. The only thing that I know personally is that I I do not want to see Liberty in the playoff. We're we're past that. We're we're done with that. It was cute. It was fun. The idea of it made sense at the time. It does not make sense any longer. They can't compete. It's a different sport. There's only two conferences that matter. That Those teams are just not a part of it. And it's not fair, especially not fair, because only the first round is going to be on campus, to have 
one of those campus games be with a group five team. Like, that's insane. And then especially even worse, I know this is stupid, like, what if they win a game? And then that, that fan base is going to travel, like, once? or It's just – it's it's ludicrous. It, we're so far past it at this point. And it was probably one of the unintended, like, positive aspects of this blind realignment that we did is this used to be a power five, but you would talk about the American. It's like, well, this is really a power six. We have several good programs, which is an absolutely valid case for the most part. Absolutely. But these programs that were in the American that were part of the power six, they're now power five or whatever you want to call these teams. They're not going to be left out because of this. So I think you're exactly right. Like, do you want Liberty in there? No. Like, I mean, love our guy, John Sumrall, love our guy, Kane Womack, or Womack, excuse me. But, like, I, I don't need no. Troy or South Alabama in there, and I hate to be dismissive, but you're exactly right. Like, the way the plate tectonics of this realignment have changed, everyone now has a seat at the table, even that, even if that wasn't the intended consequence. I don't need the lower level now getting a seat. No, because then now you're, you're going to be fighting, and it's going to be so nonsense. Like, who gets to play that team? Like you're going to be like, do I even want the buy game? I might want to get a warm-up game against this team at home. That sounds better than waiting a week potentially and playing in a neutral site game where my fans are going to have to travel and pay a shit ton of money to watch. It's just I'm, – I'm out on it. I'm totally done with it. They should get rid of it. They're probably not going to. Um, and then, you know, you know, someone like Kirshner or Stephen Godfrey will scream because they love all football, and that's great. But th- this is – we're so – in such a different world, the teams, they can't compete anymore. And the teams that thought they could compete and want to compete have moved conferences in order to avoid that situation entirely. Exactly. It's like we're out on it, but the the circumstances have changed. So yesterday, Michigan beats Alabama. I was a little surprised by that. I'm not going to lie. The first 14 minutes of the game, I was like, dude, I think Alabama might steamroll them. But I think I quickly realized Alabama probably just wasn't a very good team. This is one of Saban's best coaching jobs. The one thing that I really relish from just a dumb head, like meathead fan perspective, the Big Ten is a shit conference that I think gets way overflated that could have had a massive take on national television day had Michigan gotten wrecked. That was ruined. That shouldn't be blinded by the fact that Ole Miss destroyed Penn State. Iowa's a disgusting version of a football team. Yeah. I I hate that Michigan won, but, I mean, you got to give them some credit. But I don't think that was a very good Alabama team. I mean, to me, the what it comes down to is they had that play for their season on the three-yard line, and they basically kind of ran the quarterback trap. What Saban team has ever done that that had any capabilities to do anything? It was an incredibly poorly played game. I mean, from all aspects. I mean, Michigan was, like, pissing down their leg left and right. J.J.'s throwing interception. They're muffing punts. It was just awful, awfully played game. Alabama, they had, like, no structure. They couldn't snap the ball. It's been an issue for them all season. Milrow, like, just was completely out of sorts. Um, it, it was just not – it was a fun game. It was an awesome game. It was kind of a classic in some ways, but it wasn't overly well played. Um, but I, that doesn't take away from Michigan winning. Michigan's really good. They are a very good football team. But I, what I was thinking about today, and I'm thinking about all day as people have been crowning them for beating Alabama the way that they did, they've only had to play two fucking games this entire year. Exactly. They had to play, they had to play Ohio State, and they had to play Alabama. 
And they were able to get ready for both those teams because they had a cupcake before Ohio State, and they've had a month to prepare for Alabama. And credit to them for doing it because Jim Harbaugh is a hell of a coach. They've got a hell of a front seven. They've got a hell of an offensive line. They run it basically an NFL system in college. I thought Chase said that perfectly today, that he has been able to do what basically no one else has been able to do in this day and age, which is kind of, you know, college usually seeps up in the NFL, and he is somehow down, like brought NFL down to college with the way he's run this program. They, they finally made it, but George has beaten that team by two touchdowns. I mean, Alabama was just so poor in so many phases of that game, and they just basically gave it to them. I mean, th- that game was won, and they let them drive 98 yards to beat them, and overtime was just not competitive. Um, but, look, they get credit for it. But you're not going to see an undefeated Michigan anymore because they're going to have to play real teams now. They're going to have to play Oregon and Washington and, you know, Ohio State maybe will not shit down their legs coming up soon. So they, they did not play a significant game until mid-November this year. They have been as healthy and as rested as any team in the country, and it really showed. I mean, they looked just so much fresher than Alabama. And honestly, even though they should have lost the game or definitely could have, they also could have blown Alabama out the window if they had not made so many mistakes early on. So it's it's a weird one to kind of analyze – because like 95% of that game so poorly played, but the 5% was so elite on both sides that you kind of forget like how good those, both those teams actually are. It's the beauty of the 12-teamer. We don't have to wonder what would have happened had Oregon, who people thought was better than Washington, had they not gotten in. A 12-1 and Ohio State still gets in. A 12-1 and Georgia still gets in. And we don't have to do this. Because, again, I mean, you mentioned all that. I mean – you mentioned could Michigan have kept up with Georgia? Could could any of these teams in this playoff kept up with Georgia? I mean, honestly, no. God, I swear to God, more and more I think about this, and I know this sounds disrespectful to Alabama because they did actually beat them. I thought that was a weird game, probably a fluke. My most likely candidate to kind of keep up with them is Washington because of what they have on the white like on the outside and that weird ass offense, right? That's the crazy part about it, too. So thank God. Fuck Barrett Sully, I guess is the 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 overarching point in this take. Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, oh, Liberty, Oregon. You want to watch this? No, I'd actually like to watch Ohio State and Oregon and Georgia be in the playoff. But again, neither here nor there. The second part of this, Washington. They got counted out. Hell, they beat Oregon. And Why? me and you were both talking about on the podcast. I was like, dude, that was a well-played game. I think Oregon's the better team, but that just – they happened to win it. Then they beat them again, and it felt like no one gave them any credit. I remember – and I hate to give Dan Wolken, of all people, credit on something like this podcast because that's not going to be well-received. He tweeted in, like, week two. He said something to the effect of, like, are we sure Washington is not doing a 2019 LSU? We're just not noticing and after that, I started watching them for a couple of weeks as they were mowing, mowing over opponents. I was like, damn, this is nuts. And then Penix got banged up a little bit. They lost a couple of receivers. They flogged through some games. But you saw them against Texas last night at full strength. That offense is ridiculous. And I'm not sure the nation understood that until last night. Well, Weldon understood it when he, in week three, put a future on them to win the national title. So I, I fully understood it and saw it. They are something to deal with. They are kind of a a poor man's version of 2019 LSU. Because um, they don't have 
I mean, in basically every facet. I mean, Penix is incredible. He's not Joe Burrow. The receiver, the receiver cores. I mean, they got more than three. They've got like five or six. Five dudes. They throw out there that are that are incredible. Dylan Johnson, the Mississippi State kid who I recruited, we recruited very hard. Is and I ask you, by the way, shining on a national stage. Yes, yes. Good player. Great. America's player. leaders. Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. And then a defense that is advantageous and well-coached and understands they, – they, they are literally a poor man's version of, of 2019 LSU, and I mean that in the biggest compliment possible. Uh, they have won this thing. They've gotten to this point by having one of the best offensive schemes in the country, a quarterback that fully understands it, and they do what they do. They throw shot after shot after shot. They stress you out for four quarters. And honestly, they didn't muff that punt against Texas. I don't know what the deal was. It would have been a blowout. They might have blown them out. And honestly, they should have still blown them out. They just had some just insane late game management that was highly questionable. Um, They are fun. They are exciting. They absolutely can beat Michigan because similar – Michigan kind of took what I thought was going to happen in that game and turned it on its head. The way they played Milrow was perfect. I thought, like, hey, look, they've never played a running quarterback like this guy ever. Like, I mean, this is just a different ball game for them. And they were like, nah, we're, we're good here. He's just not going to be able to throw the ball. And if he runs a little bit, that's fine. We're so athletic on the back end, we'll catch up to him. They have absolutely not played a team like Washington this year. And I, it's going to be an incredibly interesting matchup because Washington has a better offensive line than Alabama. Washington may not have the backs Bama has, but they'll be able to keep up a little bit more in the pass game than uh, Milrow was. And then obviously Penix through the air and these receivers are way better than anything Alabama has. Um, I thought the line plus four is wildly disrespectful to Washington going into I thought game. so too. Uh, I, that is crazy to me. I was thinking I was going to have to hedge Michigan. I, I would not be hedging. I'm just going to go full-fledged in with Washington, and hopefully these tickets go down now that Texas lost, and maybe I'll go because it's in Houston. Uh, so it's the year of the Husky for the Rotenberg family. Connecticut, got to watch them, my future cash. I really want to go see Washington and see this one cash. Um, they're awesome. They've been awesome all year. They've had some, like, really weird games, but at the end of the day – like, we thought it was really weird. They barely beat Arizona. It turns out Arizona's fucking awesome. It was weird that they kind of went down the wire against Washington State. Turns out Cam Ward's really damn good, and that's like, a rivalry game. That's, it's a weird one to win. Every big game they played in, these two against Oregon, the Texas game, they have been the, the more composed, better team. And I think that might be the case against Michigan, too. I don't think Michigan's physicality will be able to scare Washington. I don't think so, too, because whatever you do, they're going to do something to beat you the next play. And again, from you would have a much better educated take advantage point than me. What I watched last night, and I'd watched them a couple of times, if they were beating them deep down the field, well, then the next play, Dylan Johnson was getting seven. And then it was absolutely hilarious to me to hear the announcers, rightfully so, I'm not even dumping on the announcers, talk about, well, Penix was a running quarterback before the injuries, and literally every time after they said that, yeah. they would get him on some sort of quarterback run up the middle, and he would That's just well gash him for 18 yards. Whatever you did, the next play was wrong. 
And yeah. I, again, compared to 19 LSU, compared to whatever you want, I don't know. I'm not educated enough from a schematic standpoint to compare to that. But I know when you have elite defenses and you have elite teams in the college football playoff, and what they do the next play is just completely guessing and wrong. You have an absolutely elite offense, and it was a pleasure to watch last night. It's a different kind of offense than 2019 LSU. 2019 LSU was as simplistic of an offense as you may find in college football. Because they had dudes and you didn't. They these, had dudes. These, Washington is fooling you on every single play because they have enough dudes in different capacities, if that makes any sense. LSU basically ran inside zone and outside zone, bombs and slants. That was literally what they ran, and they ran it with you know, four first-round players. Washington, they have some first-rounders. Penix might be one. Roma Dunze sure as hell is going to be one. And then McMillan and Polk are awesome. But they scheme you up. They get you thinking one thing, and they do something completely different. Uh, they are awesome. I think they are the most fun offense in college football by far. Some of the shit they do, and they do it – they're so composed. They, they always know what they're doing. I mean, they'll, they'll shift – from trips to two by two, and they'll do it in like seamless fashion. They've got guys going across the field. They've got guys running backs shifting out like all the way wide, but they're like six yards in the back. It's just crazy. They do some crazy shit. And if Michigan's not ready for it, I, I think it's going to be could be a really weird game. Now this all could be moot because Michigan's defense is is for real. Um, they are going to get after them. I just don't know if they're going to get them off of what they do. I just don't think that's going to be the case at all. I don't think Washington will be able to run it as successfully, but I sure as hell know those guys are getting open. They will continue to throw the ball down the field until Michigan just goes drop eight. Does a national title without an SEC team bother you at all? Not I'm looking even. forward to this matchup. It doesn't bug me one bit. I think Georgia was the best team, and we can talk again. We don't need to relitigate what a sham the 14 playoff is, but just in this specific instance, it doesn't bug me. It doesn't bug me at all. That's why we decide this thing is through the through the playoff. Now, how we've decided who gets in the playoff is a totally different conversation. But at the end of the day, they played the games. They're here, and Washington has, has completely earned this. They're much more for real than TCU was. Um, they've won a lot of – they're kind of similar in a way. They've won a lot of close games, but they've beaten some real football teams. They've beaten them in kind of not even convincing fashion, but just in a fashion where you believe it's sustainable going up against a much more physical team like Michigan. I don't think Michigan is as versatile as maybe some people think they are. I, I'm so much more confident in Penix than I am in J.J. McCarthy making plays. They might not have to have to make plays. Maybe they're just going to run it down Washington's throat like we thought they may do to Bama early in that game. But I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a weird matchup for the Wolverines. I had an old fella. I was sitting in a business meeting tonight. Guy's an old Miss alum. And they were talking about the college football playoff. He's like, people forget Ole Miss beat Michael Penix in the Outback Bowl in 2020. And, of course, I didn't have the heart to tell him. He's like, no, buddy, he shredded his ACL. They beat yeah, him that was his third ACL. He actually did not play in that game. Say, people dude. do forget that Jeremy Pruitt dropped Michael Penix because uh, he didn't want him when he first got the job at Tennessee. Wait, hold on. Can you shed some light on that? I had no clue about that. What? I mean, it's it hindsight's twenty twenty, of course. But Jeremy Pruitt got to uh, Tennessee as the head coach. Like his first, uh, guess act on duty was to drop. Michael Penix. <laughs> yeah. Would you have dropped Michael Penix as an evaluator? 
Uh, I remember Michael Penix. Uh, really? Maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was out of Tampa. I remember. So, he was- okay. I'll ask you a real question. What led to him being a dude? Like when you're an evaluator, like I might've dropped this kid. What, what, why is he now a dude? Well, I mean, he's in an elite scheme. And he's been in that scheme for a few years now because DeBoer was at Indiana with him. I was about to say, in fairness, he was an elite dude at, at Indiana. They got no credit. So you think he's, he's still, I know DeBoer was there, still scheme. But he, he does things that are uncoachable. He has elite pocket presence. Elite. He has Joe Burrow level pocket presence. I only say Joe Burrow because I've seen him on the field and I've right. watched Jaquez Jones literally have him dead to rights and Burrow do like a Tom Brady shuffle and then throw it 95 yards for a touchdown. Um, his anticipation is the best I think I've ever seen from a college quarterback. Um, just That's just on the TV copy too. His ability – I mean, there's some clips from that game against Texas where he's throwing the ball. The guy, the receiver's not even looking, and he's got a rusher in his face, and it's on a dime. Accuracy, anticipation, understanding of his offense, pocket presence, stuff that it's really difficult to see coming out of high school is what's gotten him to this point. And obviously he's very mobile, but he's not that mobile anymore. He's capable of doing it, but it's not a strength. Uh, he just works completely in the offense. He makes good decisions at all times, and he's got an absolute cannon. I mean, some of the balls he had against Texas were disgusting, and he does it in different velocities too. He's got real touch on deep balls. He's got a throw. A deep ball accuracy is absurd. It's absurd. It's what has made this team go this year because you can throw all these deep balls all you want, but if you can't connect on them, it's yeah. If the kid hits it every time, how do you defend shit like that? No, you, you can't. And then that's not even adding the fact that, especially this year, really last year too, he's got McMillan, Polk, and Adunze who are just awesome. They are awesome, awesome, awesome. And it makes him look very good as well. I think the add this year that they've had is a little bit better of a defense and a real running game that's not just pennies. Dylan Johnson's really good. It's going to be an awesome national championship. Real quick, because I've kept you too long, we're going to go to a very quick, fastest-growing segment on American soil. I have a declaration. Are you ready for this? Let's hear it. Brentford has slipped to 16th in the EPL standings, and this is not something I could stand for. Um, I am very much well-versed in mediocrity. Um, I would describe my entire existence as mediocrity, and for the entire time we've been doing this podcast, Brentford has been somewhere between like tenth and thirteenth in the EPL. I mean, it's like a it's like a. We talked about it last week. Like they're just firmly there. But oh, they're yeah. they're never moving. Well, the bees have now dropped to seven uh, to sixteenth, and I'm no longer giving them money to get players under the table. I am no longer a Brentford booster. I have to retract this. This is unacceptable. There are three spots from the relegation zone. I am taking my talents to Aston Villa. Oh, you're switching allegiances. Yeah, I know. This is done. I, I hate bees. I probably won't ever eat honey for the rest of my life. This is over with. I am breaking up with the bees. I hope I'm not a front runner because before three years ago, I never heard of Aston Villa. Am <laughs> I allowed to do I, I mean, you're the authority here. Am I allowed to do this? Is this too big of a front runner to now switch to Aston Villa? I never felt like you were committed to the bees. I think you like Ever. the story. You like the story more than the team. I love the fact that some handicappers bought an EPL team. That was my favorite part. But I'm done with them. Can you name one player 
on Aston Villa's team. No, but I couldn't name one player on Brentford either. So what the hell does it matter? Like, <laughs> I was just curious. I might have to start though. I might have to watch. There's no fun. I love watching EPL, and I'm like, oh, the bees are on. I'm like, I don't know who the hell any of these guys are. I'm not going to start with Aston Villa, but they seem more exciting. They're second in the Premier League. But is this too frontrunnery, or am I allowed to do this? Is it new enough that I'm allowed to do this? I mean, it's new enough where you're allowed to do it. It's a little suspect that you're picking the team that's in second right now to, to change allegiance. But it's the idea that they weren't – like, why are they in second? Why why is this happening? That's probably no, the thing I should ask you. Why is this happening? That's a valid question. They've, they've spent well. I think we talked about it a little bit where they, they've sold players and they've bought the backups and they've all been really good. You know, they, they've restocked their roster with players from different places, and they have a, a manager in Emory who's just really good at what he does. They are just well-run. That's why they're where they're at. And they, they've gone from having elite talent to having, like, really balanced talent. They're just – they're very good. Very good. And this is a club we hit on them last time that, like, seven years ago was relegated. They got back to, like, the EPL in, like, 2018 and then made their way to the top that quickly. That's why I figured I could pick them. Because, like, Tottenham, not moving the needle. Arsenal, no one's going to know if I was an Arsenal fan. I feel like I could move the needle with the Aston Villa faithful. I mean, Saudi Castle is just too easy. I could have gone with Brighton, but they've been too consistent. I really had no other options. Like, really, if I'm going with an outlier there – it was Aston Villa or Bus. I mean, if you look at the top of this league, I don't, I don't have any other options. I mean, I, mean, I could go to with Wolves, but we've talked about them enough. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. Again, to package it into a real question, we now have Liverpool three points clear of Aston Villa and five points clear of Man City. What is going on in this league? Did you watch? I mean, you, I, I already know the answer. You did not watch. So they were playing – Liverpool was playing Newcastle in like a perfect window of like right between the two playoff games or no, right between the like 12 o'clock games and between when Michigan and Bama started. And yeah, TV was there. off over there. I, I had not seen a TV in quite a while at that point. Yeah, no, completely understand that. Um, but they, they played in like one of the crazier matches. They had the most expected goals, which is like – it's like XG is kind of like the soccer analytics of like how many goals did you score versus how many you were expected to score based on the chances that you had. It's pretty simple. They had 7.5 expected goals. They scored four, the most in the Premier League history since XG has started. Crazy game. They have been offensively absolutely dynamite. They give up goals left and right. Defensively, they're not the same as they have been. They're getting a little older in the back end. But they have bought midfielders and attackers that have just been dynamic. And they score and they score and they score a lot. And that's basically what they're, they're doing right now. They beat Newcastle 4-2, crazy-ass game. They even missed a penalty in the first half. Zero scored goals in the first half. They scored four alone in the second. They, they just – they come at you. And, like, once they smell blood in the water, they just dominate you. That's how they go. I mean – that sounds like something I would want to be a part of. So, Man U, <laughs> need to get the state of Man U constantly. 31 points, 14 behind. They're not getting in, obviously. They're not getting in contention with the league. doesn't no. sound like they're actually in realistic contention for European football. But we've had, like, I feel like since we started this, 
it was this is a disaster to they're playing a little bit better. Where do we stand now? Are you are you okay with where your guys stand? What what's going on here? Oh, well, it's a solid mix of disaster and playing a little bit better. They can't score goals. They can't do it. It's, it's like they're allergic to it. They have scored the second fewest goals in the Premier League this year. That's shocking. Their inability. Holy shit, to score. Are you serious? Yes. Let's see. Goals for they scored twenty two. No, you're exactly right. They're tied for fourth worst, and there's only two below them. Two no, there's only two below. Yeah, but I mean, point still stands. It's yeah, Burnley and Crystal Palace. So we'll let it slide. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, their That's best insane. player. They've spent poorly. They have evaluated poorly. The manager. I'm a, I'm a fan of him. He's made some really interesting decisions. Basically. So we played – let me look back at the schedule. I can't remember which game this was. Two seconds. Um, all right, so they beat no, – the game they beat Aston Villa, they, they came back down from 2-0 to win 3-2. Classic United game. The, this team has, like, three players I give a fuck about. They have Garnacho, they have Maynu, and they have Hoysland, the, the young striker who is – I like him. I, I just like the way he is. Everyone else can honestly fuck off. Like that—that's how this team is right now. They—they—they're players that have—they've gotten like three managers fired. They stayed through the whole thing. I mean, I love Bruno, but he's our captain. He's no business being a captain, no matter how good he is. It's like I, I can't even give a perfect analogy for what this team is like right now. They're the biggest club in the world, and they play like they're the smallest club. Like they—they they play like this underdog team. They—they they never ever dictate terms. They are always on the back foot. They're always complaining. There's always infighting. There's always ownership problems. Ineos came in and bought 25% of the club, and they're trying to help out. It probably won't matter. It, it's just – it's a never-ending cycle of good, 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 bad, 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 fire manager, maybe good, good, bad, 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 fire. It, it, it's just a cycle of ineptitude. And they have players who I love and I'm excited about that are young, and honestly, anybody – Besides Hoysling, Garnacho, and Manu can fuck off to another team. That's my. That's All right. My <laughs> Last thing I have for you on this: we normally go to the bottom of the league. I'm not going to ask you about this, but you mentioned like having a couple guys you care about. So for a team like Sheffield United, who's given up 15 goals and allowed 49, or like Burnley, who's given up uh, 41 and allowed 20, does someone like that have a dude on their team or is it just like none of these players actually belong on a top tier soccer field? How does that actually work? Uh, that's, that's tough. Like they, there's a reason they're there. It's because they've gotten sure. through the, the championship. Um, but none of them have a dude. Like there's not a single guy where like this dude's a stud or is it, how does that work? You know, you got fucking dudes on like a bad NBA team. Is it similar or different? No, it's, it's similar to that. Like they're professional players, but they're, they're, I mean, the roster is just not as well financed as the other ones. So it's uh, it's all about staying up. So like Brentford, they've been able to stay up for a year or two. They've built up capital and have been able to actually spend to get some dudes. Luton and Burnley and Sheffield, they probably won't stay up and probably won't have the ability to then go out and get guys. Like we know we're talking about Nottingham Forest. They came up and they bought like 28 players. And Bournemouth has kind of done a similar thing. Uh, these guys, they haven't had the money to even start off doing that, and they're probably not going to be able to do it next year when they're already back down. Yo-yo clubs, tin pot clubs. Exactly. Worthless. He is Walton Rodenberg. I appreciate the time, dude. This was a ton of fun. 
You're cre- you're now completing three football seasons on the Rippy Rights podcast. Uh, what's it like working for a media mogul? Do you feel more nuanced and more educated? I feel like I'm ready for a raise. How, how does that sound? Look, man, <laughs> have your agent contact mine. We'll get yeah. into that. Um, you I know have a guy. People. I'm sure they got some spare cash laying around. Look, my agent's a real bulldog, Michael Portner. He's going to tell you that you deserve less than a raise. That, that's how we do this. Well, Portner's not going to tell me that. He might think the opposite. <laughs> I don't <disaster> players, too. <laughs> no, he's the man. You definitely deserve a raise, dude. This has been a ton of fun. I don't say thank you enough to the listeners, but to you as well. You, Bracken, Colin, make this what it is, man. This is a ton of fun. We're going to talk to you again soon, so I don't want to make this some sappy goodbye. But, dude, this is a shit ton of fun. Every year we do this, I really enjoy the shit out of it. And uh, thank you for doing this for a third year in a row. I enjoy every fucking Sunday we talk. No, I love it, too. It's a hobby. It's so much fun. Hopefully people enjoy this. Uh, I mean, look, my wife just texted me, asked me if I'm still doing it. I'm about to yeah, to I'm sorry. Up. I made her earlier. No, no, it's one. okay. I'm about to text her to shut up. This is what I like to do. Leave me alone. <laughs> Um, but no, it's awesome. Happy to be a part of it. I'm glad I texted you that random day asking if you'd be interested. Uh, I mean, three years now, it's crazy. Yeah, I told that story a couple of times where I was like, damn, I have to have a football guy that I'm sitting at lunch and you texting. I was like, oh man, like if we believe Lord, in yeah. omens, this wasn't the case. So <laughs> he is Walden Rodenberg, meant to be the part of the Rupee Rights Network. Dude, we'll talk to you soon. There'll be recruiting stuff. This will be an, an off season, unlike any other. We'll see you soon. I'm not wishing into the offseason because there will be no offseason coming into 2024. How about that? Yes, there will be. We're all good. Okay, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening. As always, hope everyone had a safe and happy holiday season and a very happy new year. Got some basketball content coming down the pipe for you here later this week, as well as probably some more football stuff as well so be on the lookout for that really appreciate you listening to the show as always looking forward to a wonderful 2024 and we'll talk to you again here in just a couple of days